and verse 8. I know Jeremiah has been doing like a series on grace and faith and, and the balance of grace and faith. And uh, I just kind of want to piggyback on that this morning. And I've not had the opportunity to listen to his messages, so if I contradict anything he says, my bad. Because uh, this morning, what I actually want to minister on is grace, faith, and the law. And um, what's interesting about what I want to talk about this morning is you know, the subject of grace and faith and learning how to balance grace and faith, it, it applies to every area of your life. It really teaches us how to walk this thing out, right? Everything's been provided by grace. Our part is to, to receive it by faith. Um, but what happens a lot of times is, you know, as I've come into an understanding of the finished work and grace, and you guys know this because I complain all the time to you, you guys get to hear all my complaints, is a lot of times what happens is we, um, my one concern about people who come into this understanding is a lot of times they feel the need to, to just throw out part of their Bible, right, specifically the Old Testament. And I always tell people, listen, live under the Old Covenant, God forbid. Throw out the Old Testament, God forbid, right? If it wasn't for the Old Testament, if you'll notice, people who... who uh, begin to disconnect themselves from the Old Testament and throw it out, see it as no longer useful, uh, what happens is we end up creating a Jesus in our own image. But under the law in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, all the shadows and the types and the feast and all those things we have, we know we're not under those for righteousness. But those things reveal to us the person of Jesus. Right? Uh, for example, there's, there's some teaching that says, well, the blood of Jesus wasn't quite necessary on God's part. It's just man that needed it. It totally ignores the fact that under the law, God was the one who called for the blood sacrifice. Right? So we learn that a Jesus who is uh, according to Scripture and not according to man uh, shed his blood uh, for forgiveness, shed his blood for appeasement, shed his blood to make peace between God and man. Right? So we, we don't want to, you know, we understand, we want to come to the understanding that we're not under the Old Covenant, but at the same time, we need to see the value in the Old Testament. And I think this morning's message and teaching, what it will help you see is uh, that God has never changed. What He wanted uh, in the last 2,000 years, that's something He wanted the last 6,000 years is what we will learn. But let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and I'm going to go through, or, or Colossians 2, 6, actually. I'm sorry. Let's, let, yeah, let's do Colossians 2, 6 first. Um, Paul speaking here, he says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in Him. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk. So he's saying here, the same way you receive Jesus into your life is the same way you're supposed to walk this thing out. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. So how did we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So here Paul says, all right, the way you receive Christ, that's the way you walk this thing out. That's the way you stay committed. That's the way you stay with this thing. Well, how did we receive Him? By grace, through faith, not of works. So if we received Him by grace through faith, then the way we walk this Christian walk out is by grace through faith. All right? And it's never of works. So you can never come along... See, because a lot of Christianity will have a problem with that. Yes, you get saved by grace through faith and not of works, but now your works will maintain it. The way you received Him has to be the way you walk in Him. So if I received Him not of works, then I have to walk with Him not of works. 
If I, couldn't, if I didn't get saved by saying, look what I've done, then I can't continue this walk by saying, look what I'm doing. All right? So it's by grace through faith to get in. It's by grace through faith as long as you're in. It's by, so here's what we're going to learn this morning. It was by grace through faith before the law. It was even by grace through faith to those who would receive it in the law. And it's by grace through faith now after the law. All right, and we'll, we'll see that as we go. Let, let's go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Now, in Ephesians 2 there where it says, By grace through faith are you saved. Now that word saved is sozo. So when we read it, we think of it primarily as a, as a salvation scripture, you know, becoming one with with the Father and, and things like that. But it's more than just your initial born-again experience. The word sozo is also translated many places as healing and health. It's translated as wholeness. It could be translated as peace, prosperity. Uh, pretty much anything you need for this life is included in that word sozo. It's included in that word saved. So we could say, um, for by grace through faith are you healed. By grace through faith are, do you have peace. By grace through faith do you have joy. By grace through faith are you delivered. Whatever it is you need, the, the formula is, if you want a formula, it's by grace through faith. Now, I, I always tell you guys, I'm not giving you a formula, and I'm still not, but it, the closest thing we get to a biblical formula, by grace through faith, are you fill in the blank. Whatever it is you need, and you wonder, how do I get that by grace through faith? What's that mean? Grace provided it. Your part is to believe it's been provided. Believe that, that it is activated in your life when you acknowledge it. By grace through faith. Are you? Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Here we have Paul speaking again. He says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. Now, here's what I want you to think about. He said, in other words, what he's saying is, if it's not of faith, then it can't be by grace. So, if, so we have to be careful, especially with teaching that tries to remove faith out of the equation. Because according to Paul here, if there's no faith, there can be no grace. because And here's what he's really saying. Grace and faith go hand in hand. You can't separate grace from faith. Every weird doctrine, every weird teaching that is out there, it is because they have tried and have, in their, in their way, removed either grace or faith from this equation. Right? If you remove grace from the equation and it's all about faith and what you do, that gets us into legalism, that gets us into works, that gets us into self. It's all about me and conjuring up what I can do, what I can believe for, and I've got to make it happen. Right? That's just, that leads to frustration. On the flip side of that, if you remove faith from the equation and you only emphasize grace, you get into to this extreme sovereignty view of God where everything that happens is God, right? Uh, if, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. It, it, there, there's no part on, on my end. I'm just going to do what I'm doing. If God wants it to happen, it'll happen. can't tell you how many times I've been praying for somebody or you know something going on, and I used to have this view, well, now if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. That's a horrible view because that's not the scriptural view, right? But that happens if you remove faith from the equation and only focus on grace. It has to be, according to Paul here, it is of faith that it might be by grace. So you can't remove either one, right? All right, so let's finish this verse out. He says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end. To the end. To the end, right? So, so here's the whole reason. The promise might be sure to all the seed. In other words, if it's of faith by grace, then the promise, then we're all on equal ground. Nobody has to work for it. Nobody has to earn it. 
He's provided it, and all we got to do is be persuaded that's the truth and believe it. Everyone in here can believe. How do I know? Because everybody in here can worry. If you can worry, you can have faith. If you can live in fear, you can live in faith. Right? Everyone in here has, has the, the potential in you to worry. That is showing you that God put in you the ability to believe. Right? So if it's if so the whole reason God what Paul is saying here is listen, he made it by grace through faith so that we're all on equal ground. It's available to all of us. Right? None of us will ever be able to come and say, I earned that. I worked for that. I did that. Now I know in the natural you can say those things, but spiritually when it comes to receiving the blessings and the promises of God, none of us will ever be able to say, Yeah, I did that. All right. So to the end, the promise might be sure. Now here's something interesting. What is the promise that he's referring to? They're not going to have it on the screen, but up at verse 13 real quick, I want to look at that. For the promise. Now he's talking, look here. Should be for the promise that he should be the heir of the world. Who's he talking about? Was not to Abraham or to his seed, but through the law... uh, but through the, uh, through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So in other words, the promise that he's referring to is you'll be heir of the world. Now, if the promise he's referring to is being heir of the world, and he says that's going to come by faith righteousness, all right, if the promise is being an heir of the world, then, then I'm pretty sure we can tack on here healing, joy, peace, deliverance. Provision. On and on we can go. Right? But let's read on here. Verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure. That means that the promise might be guaranteed. This is, so you want to know how to guarantee this stuff? Will, will, you'll see this stuff in your life by grace through faith. The moment you remove any of that, it's no longer guaranteed. It's actually just going to create frustration because you're never going to see it. All right? Not to, not to that only. Now, I want to point something out here to you. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law. Not to that only which is of the law. Not to that only which is of the law. Well, I thought under the law, it wasn't by grace through faith. I thought it was of works. Well, according to him here, it was of, it was of faith that it might be by grace to those under the law. And then look what he says. But to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. In other words, God's path to blessing from Genesis to Revelation has always been and will always be by grace through faith. Always. And I know what, what some of you may be thinking, well, what about? We know under the law we call that a works covenant. Yes, it was, but we're going to get to that, we're going to get to that in a minute. Look, look with me at Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Paul speaking here again, he says, By whom, speaking of Jesus, also we have access by faith into this grace. So Going back to what I said a while ago, if you take faith out of the equation, there is no way to access grace. It, it, grace can only be accessed one way. Everything that God has ever provided, every benefit of the finished work, can only be accessed one way, by faith. You see that? So we can sit there all day and talk about grace, 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 but if we don't ever activate our faith, then that grace is just there locked away. I look at it like grace is this treasure. Like, you know, if you could think of a big vault. If you can get in that vault, there's everything you will ever need for this life and eternity. And the way you get into that vault, you need the code. You need the key. The code and the key is faith. Just believing. Just believing. And, and when you do that, you have access to everything in that vault. Right? Look with me at Romans chapter 11 and verse 6. And I'm laying a foundation here and then we're going to get where I'm going. I just really want to hammer home that 
We can't remove one of these from the equation. Romans chapter 11, verse 6, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So again, if you take grace out of the equation, then everything's up to you. Right? And that's what Paul was saying here. He's like, listen, the moment you start saying that it's up to me, you've completely removed grace out of the equation. Then it's no longer free, it's earned. Right? All right. But when you have both, Paul said in Romans 4.16, then the promise is certain. The promise is sure. The promise is guaranteed. What promise are you talking about? Fill in the blank in your mind. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Whatever is the promise that you need in your life right now, the promise is guaranteed if you're accessing it by grace through faith. Guaranteed. As Brian was saying this morning, it's coming. It's been provided. It's coming. By grace through faith, it's coming. Right? So, we want to... But here's, what, here's, the whole, here's what I'm teaching on this morning. All that's just introduction. But we, like I was saying earlier, we falsely assume that by grace through faith is exclusive to the new covenant. And it's not. Alright? And let's look at that. Let's go to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. Actually, let's begin with verse 1 so we get a little run and go. Genesis chapter 15 verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? So, Abraham has a promise from God here. And the promise is, you're going to have a large family. But Abraham looks here and he says, but I've got no family. And the closest thing I've got to a family isn't my own. Right? And so God is assuring him here in verse 3, And Abraham said, Behold, to me you have given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be your heir, but he that shall come forth out of your own bowels shall be your heir. In other words, it's going to be your actual offspring. Verse 5, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now, I love this verse, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if you be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall your seed be. So I love this because the first thing God does is Abraham's struggling to believe. So God gives him a picture to look at. And then look this. So the moment God gives Abraham a picture, look what happens. Verse 6, And he believed in the Lord. So he, Abraham struggled to believe until he's seen. And this is a freebie. I've preached a lot on imagination here and seeing things in, in, with the eyes of your heart. If you're struggling to believe, it's because you've not seen it. Every time Abraham struggled, all he had to do was go outside and look at the stars. And then God gives him another illustration and God tells him to count the number of the stars. So, during the daytime, he can walk and he can feel the sand between his toes. So shall my seed be. At night, he can go up and he can look at all the stars. That's beyond, we can't count them. And he's saying, even so shall my seed be. Right? So if we're struggling to receive, one, we need to see. Seeing is believing, but not physically. Seeing is believing with your heart. Right? If you can see it with your heart, you'll believe it. And, but here's why we're here. And he counted it to him for righteousness. So notice here, Abraham didn't earn it. God gave him the promise free of charge. God didn't, God didn't say, all right, Abraham, if you'll do A, B, and C, then I'll make your, 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 your uh, uh, you know, your, your, I'll give you an heir, right? He, he didn't say that. He just gave him the promise, and Abraham was honest. All right, God, but I'm struggling. Right now, I don't see that. God gives him a vision. When he sees the vision, he believes. When he believes, God says, you're righteous. Right? So, we see here 
by grace through faith. The promise was given by grace. Abraham believed it. He was considered righteous. In other words, he was put in right standing. He was qualified by grace through faith. So we see that, and that's no problem for us, right? Because we do a lot of teaching when we teach on grace. Like, hey, before the law came, people had no problem with by grace and, and through faith and stuff. But then we act like the law came, and, and all of a sudden everybody, you know, all of a sudden God changed. It's, the problem for me isn't that we believe man changed, because clearly man uh, naturally gravitates towards a work-based system, right? But we have this idea that God changed, and God said, yeah, I know for, for a few thousand years now it's been by grace through faith, but here for the next two thousand years, I want, I want to see some sweat. I want to see some work. I really want to see you guys earn this. right?" And what we're going to learn is that was never God's heart. Now, was it part of the covenant? Yeah, because Israel came and they said, listen, tell the Lord that anything He wants us to do, we can do. And God said, okay then, here you go. But what we're going to find out today is that anyone that realized I can't do that, they superseded that law that God had given at Sinai. Look with me at Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And they'll have it on the screen here. I know that's... I went to Habakkuk a couple weeks ago at another church, and everybody was going through their Bibles, and the moment I said go to Habakkuk, I literally see most people go, like, just close the Bible. He's like, I don't even know where that's at, brother. Hey, no, they was a Habakkuk. Uh, so let's look here at the screen together. And then he said, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon terror. So Habakkuk is a prophet under the old covenant. So that's, let me get to that. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that reads it. Verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Let me just go ahead and tell you right now, the appointed time is the new covenant. But at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Verse 4. Here's why we're here. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. This is an old covenant scripture. Now Paul, Paul understood uh, the law better than any of us. Right? He said, listen, not, not, concerning the law, Paul had the, the guts to say this. Concerning the law, I'm blameless. Like, Paul looked at the law and said, listen, if you're looking for a perfect record, I've got it. Alright? But here, in Habakkuk 2.4, I like to just see Paul's reading one day, and he comes across this, but the just shall live by faith. This is the one verse quoted, the Old Testament verse quoted more than any other in the New Testament. It's quoted in Romans 1 verse 17. Right, because uh, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm ready to preach the gospel. And then he says, "For in it is the righteousness of God revealed." Right. So, but because and the just shall live by faith. So it's Romans 1:17, Galatians 3, I think 11, and Hebrews 10, I think verse 38. So three times more than any other Old Testament scripture quoted in the New Testament is Habakkuk 2:4. That most of us, if we're being honest, we can't even locate in our Bible. But Paul, when he pulled out the scroll, he went to Habakkuk. And he read 2 verse 4, and I know there wasn't chapters and verses then, but I'm just saying. He went to where it said, the just shall live by his faith, and Paul fed on that. He meditated on that. But Habakkuk is saying that under the old covenant. So Habakkuk is prophesying to Israel. These people who have the judgment of that covenant coming upon them, and he's saying, listen, if you can get in faith, You won't be judged. He didn't say the just shall live by his works. The just shall live by keeping that part of the covenant. He said if you can get in faith, you'll live. 
See, we use that, you know, in our, and thank God for Word of Faith teaching, but in our Word of Faith and Grace teaching, we use that as, and we should. We Like, listen, when you go to work, do it by faith. When you come to church, do it by faith. When you sleep, eat, whatever you do, do it by faith. That's the way to look at it. But Habakkuk was saying, you're about to see the judgment of God under this covenant, but you can escape that judgment by faith. He didn't give them Deuteronomy 28. He didn't give them the 10. He gave them one. If you can get, if you can believe in Him, if you can trust Him, you'll live. So here we see, under the old covenant, this life of faith was available. Go with me to Matthew 23, verse 23. Now this is a verse a few years ago when I seen this, this rocked my world. Matthew 23, verse 23. So this is Jesus speaking here. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Jesus giving a very encouraging message as He always did. <laughs> For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Now, every time I've heard this verse preached, I've heard this verse preached a lot, but it's always in reference to tithing. But there's something here we look over. Okay, so you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Or we could say it this way. So you've really focused on tithing but you've completely ignored the more important matters of the law. What are those matters? Let's look. Judgment or justice, mercy, here's the big one, and faith. Now, until I seen this a few years ago, I thought faith was just something before the law, after the law. But during the law is all about works. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. A very important matter in the law was faith. Justice. See, people who have problems with all the commandments they see in the law, you know why? It's because they misunderstand justice. You understand, and this is another freebie, you understand justice, you won't have a problem with anything you read in the law. Alright? Um, and you understand you're under the new covenant, the blood of Jesus forgives you, you understand those things. But anyways. Mercy. We, again, we read the law and we don't see a lot of mercy. How about this? God gives them all of these, and we're going to see an example in a minute. God gives them all of these sins and these transgressions and says, if you do this, you'll lose your life. Stoning. I guarantee that you can count on within three fingers how many times you see that happening under the Old Testament. Mercy. Mercy. All right? But the last one is faith. So Jesus here says, He says, listen, you talk a lot about tithing, you talk a lot about the commandments, you talk a lot about the covenant, but you completely ignore one of the most important issues of the law is faith. All right? And let me, here's what I want to get to. Everybody in here this morning is benefiting from the law of gravity. All of us. We're everyone benefiting from the law of gravity. But if we go outside, and you know, how do we even know there's gravity? I know we're like, well, because here I am, I'm not floating. But I'm just saying, at some point we went to school and they taught us, the reason you're not floating is because of the law of gravity. And we was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. right? But imagine... You're in school, and they tell you, and you hear about the law of gravity for the first time. And then you go outside at recess, you look up in the sky, and there's a plane. Nobody concludes, well, that law of gravity stuff was a bunch of junk. <laughs> Nobody goes outside and sees a plane and says, that law of gravity stuff, that's not correct. That's wrong. That's false. That's false teaching. Right? Nobody does that. Why? Because we understand that there's a law, uh, that the law of lift overcomes the law of gravity. 
It doesn't mean the law of gravity is wrong. It doesn't mean anyone who teaches it is, is wrong. It just means there is a law that can overcome the law of gravity. So the law of lift can overcome the law of gravity. Nobody goes outside, sees a plane, and says, well, the law of gravity is not real. And I always use that illustration to say, listen, likewise, you shouldn't go through trouble in life and assume faith doesn't work. right?" But that's, that's not what I'm here for. So, and here's what we're going to get to. Just as the law of lift overcomes the law of gravity, the law of faith, the law of by grace through faith overcame the law of Moses. We'll call it the law of wrath. Because the, wrath, uh, the law of Moses introduced wrath. Right? It said, if you do this, here's the punishment. All right? Well, like I said, you read the Old Testament, you actually don't see a lot of punishment. I know you think you do, because we have Isaiah, Jeremiah, we've got all these prophets who talked about the judgment of God, but actually Israel was only judged like two times. But we think they were judged over and 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 over because it's such a big chunk of our Bible. When really these guys are interlapping in, in, their, in their teaching and in their prophesying, and really there's only two judgments. Alright? So, man, help me Jesus. So just as the law of lift overcomes the law of gravity, gravity the law of faith overcomes the law of wrath. Let me give you an example. Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. I love this. This is so good. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Well, what's the point in all this? God has not changed. He is consistent. And I, I make a statement and it rubs people the wrong way, but God is predictable. You know, my wife is predictable. Doesn't mean she never surprises me from time to time, but my wife is predictable. Why? Because I know her. Right? When you get to know God, He actually becomes predictable. You may not know the way He'll do things, but you know the end result. It's going to be good. 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning with verse 7. So this is the story. David has committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he has her husband put in the front of battle and has him killed. So this is after the prophet, the prophet Nathan is coming to David and calling him out. So he just gives him like a parable and David basically pronounces his own judgment. But here, uh, verse 7, And Nathan said to David, You are the man. In other words, you're the man I'm speaking of in this, in this parable. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto you such and such things. Wherefore have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? So imagine that Nathan here is the judge. And he is about to present David with the charges. Alright? Look here. You have killed Uriah the Hittite. Now, David did not physically kill him. But David was the one who, ins who, who wrote the letter that put him at the front of battle that had him killed. Right? But here, Nathan says, that's murder. So charge one. The judge is standing before David. The law that he's going on is the Mosaic law. And he says, charge one, murder. Alright, let's keep going. You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife. Charge two, adultery. And you have slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Alright, let's read on here. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, well, actually, let's stay right here. We're going to come back here, but I want to look at something. So charge one is murder. Go with me to Exodus 21 and verse 12. So here we are going to see this is God giving Israel the law. So charge one is murder. So you, you guys know, you see like on the news, somebody's went to trial for something. They'll say they can get up to the death penalty, up to 20 years, whatever. Let's see what 
uh, penalty David is facing for charge one of murder. Exodus chapter 21, verse 12. He that smites a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. He did not say you should consider putting him to death. He shall surely be put to death. No wiggle room. If he kills somebody, the punishment is death. And if a man lies not in wait, but God delivers him into his hand, then I will appoint you a place where he shall flee. In other words, if it's not intentional, that's not the death penalty. Verse 14, But if a man comes presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, you shall take him from mine altar that he may die. So charge one, murder. The penalty, death. No wiggle room. No life in prison, no death. All right. The second charge was adultery. Deuteronomy chapter twenty-two. Deuteronomy chapter twenty-two, verse twenty-two. If a man be found lying with a woman married to an husband, does Bathsheba fall in that category? Yes then they shall both of them die. Both of them die. So now, it's, so David is standing there and his charges are murder and adultery. Now you have to bring Bathsheba up to the judge. And now she's got charges against her. Now she's not complicit for the murder. She had no part in that that we see, but she did commit adultery. So now we've got David standing here on the charges of murder and adultery, and now we have Bathsheba standing here on the charges of adultery. Well, what's the punishment? If a man be found lying with a woman married to an husband, then they shall both of them die. Both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shall you put away evil from Israel. So the charges are murder and adultery, death is the penalty for both of them. Not Like I said, not life in prison, not 50 years, not you're kicked out of the camp, death. Let's look here. Verse Back in 2 Samuel chapter 12, look at verse 10. So here he's, he's giving them the charges. We know the penalty. Let's see what happens here. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give, you un give them unto your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun, for you did it secretly. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. So now, what people do is they go and they read this story and they say, God is so mean. You think he's mean because you don't know what they were supposed to get. Verse 13, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David was the man who said, In his law I will meditate day and night. David knew exactly what the penalty was. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, Look here, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Mercy. Mercy. The penalty was death. And we go and we read that and we say, oh my God is so mean. No. You think God is mean because you don't know what, it was, what was supposed to happen. David was supposed to die. Bathsheba was supposed to die. And God shows up and says, you know what? Neither one of you will die. Why? Not because I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to forgive it. Mercy. Mercy. Faith. And not only did, did these two people who seemingly blew it, God then takes their son. Do you realize David had other sons who should have inherited the throne? But God takes their son. And he's the one who inherits the throne. And he's the one who the seed of Jesus comes through. Mercy. Faith. Justice. Man, that, that is by grace through 
faith. Grace in this story. Faith in this story. That's so good. You guys see that? Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7, okay? I, w- I want to look at something else. So, here's another thing. Another idea that we have is, like I said, that God, under the Old Covenant, God wanted people to earn it. Now, like I said, it was, that, that was written in the covenant, but remember, the law of faith will overcome the law of works, the law of earning. God has actually always provided by grace. Always. Look here in Deuteronomy chapter 7, and beginning with verse 6. So he's speaking to the nation of Israel here. For you are a holy people unto the Lord your God. And you know what cracks me up about that? If we're going by their performance, this was not a holy people. Every time you, you turn a page in the Old Testament, they're complaining, they're murmuring, God's having to judge them. I mean, but here God is talking about them and says, you are a holy people. He does the same thing to us. According to the book of Colossians, Paul says that we are holy, blameless, and unreprovable. Or New Living Translation says, without a single fault in His sight. Man, that's good. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a special people unto Himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Now, Israel could read that and begin to get really proud. Look at me. Look at us. We're the chosen ones. We're the the ones that's been selected. But look here. Then it's like God's like, no, 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 no. Verse 7. The Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. It wasn't because I looked at you all and thought, I can win some battles with them. For you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, Come on. Because he would keep the oath which he had which he had sworn to your fathers. Has the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bombing from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt? He's saying, listen, you didn't earn any of this. I did all of this because I'm faithful to my word. I'm faithful to my promise. I promised it to Abraham, and that's why. You're blessed today. Now, under this new covenant, replace Abraham with Jesus. And the Father says, I didn't choose you because you were great. I don't bless you because you earn it. I bless you because I keep my word to my son. I keep my word to that covenant. But here under the old covenant is God providing by grace. So there's the grace. What about faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. So here's the fascinating thing about Hebrews 11. It's all about the Old Testament, right? It's all about the the Old Testament saints. Not one person is in there for their keeping of the law. Not one. Not one is there because they got 9 out of 10. Not one is there because they got 10 out of 10. Not one's there for they're going to the temple. Not one. Everyone is there. Why? Because they did something, they believed God, and they, they, they lived with Him by faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So anyone who pleased Him, Genesis through Revelation, you've only pleased Him one way. You believe Him by faith. How did Abraham please Him? And he believed in the Lord. Why did he he choose Abraham? Because he believed Him. And because Abraham believed Him, thousands of years, people were receiving the faithfulness of God because of faith. So, God's always provided by grace. And he's always been pleased by faith. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Look here now. Here's something else I want to show you. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise. So here's that word again. Promise. Being left us, or, or in other words... Fear that you don't walk in a particular promise. What promise? Being left us of entering into His rest, 
any of you should seem to come short of it. So here's something I want you to notice we were talking about earlier, like the case of Sarah you. You know, if God wants to happen, it's going to happen. Not according to this. According to this verse, there can be a promise given by God and you can come short of it. Not because of your works. Why? Verse 2. Now here's what I want to talk about. For unto us was the gospel preached. Check, we know that. We know the gospel's preached to us. We hear the gospel every Sunday here at this church. Every, every, most of us hear the gospel every day through some medium. But here's, the thought, here's, here's what blows my mind about this verse. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. Them is the children of Israel in the wilderness under the law. What is the gospel? Well, if I asked most of us this morning, what's the gospel? We'd say the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus and what it means for us. Check. Correct. How did they know about that? How was the gospel preached to them? We're going to hold our place here in Hebrews 4. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. How was the gospel preached unto them? Now, I've heard good messages you know, I've heard good teachers say, you know, they had the constellations, and I have no problem with that. But I think this is how the gospel was preached to them. Because it doesn't say the gospel was shown to them. It says the gospel was preached to them. And it shall be when the Lord your God shall have brought you into the land which He swore unto your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you... Now look here. Here's what I hear. Look here. To give you... Great and goodly cities which you did not build. Verse 11. And houses full of all good things which you did not fill. And wells digged which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you shall have eaten and be full, then beware lest you forget the Lord which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So here's what, what are you saying. Notice everything he offered them was finished. What God offered Israel was a finished work. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't just the facts of Jesus died, was buried, resurrected, and now you can be saved. The gospel is the work is finished. The work is finished. This is a theme, just like grace through faith is a theme running throughout Scripture. The finished work is a theme that runs throughout Scripture. And we see God's heart all through Scripture with the finished work. Adam and Eve, have you ever wondered why days, why, why God created everything? Then He puts man in the, in the garden. And then He's finished. Why? He did not want man to have anything but a finished work. He did not say, all right, Adam, Eve, B. All right, now we're going to try to get some trees. All right, now I need the sun. Now I need, no, no. He put man in a finished work. The first thing man and woman ever knew was a finished work. So the gospel was even preached unto Adam and Eve. Here, Israel, he says, listen, I'm going to give you really nice houses. You ain't even going to have to build them. I'm going to give you, you're going to drink from really, really good wells. You're not going to dig them. Real, you're going to eat the finest of vineyards. You're not going to dig them. A finished work. So what was offered to them, the gospel that was preached to them, was a finished work. But now here's the question. Now we're going to go back to Hebrews 4, verse 2. So here's the question. But why didn't... So this generation... Uh, the original generation that came out of Egypt, they didn't walk into the promised land. Why? Well, if we go by a lot of grace teaching, we would assume that the answer is, well, because you know that covenant was about works, and since that covenant was about works, they never could earn it. So then you're implying that the two that did walk in the promised land earned it. But they didn't. Look here. Hebrews 4, verse 2, For unto us was the gospel, let's say this, For unto us was the finished work preached, as well as unto them. But the finished work preached 
did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. The finished work is the grace. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You did nothing. What's your part? You believe me to get you there. That, for Israel, that was the part. That's why he said, so I'm going to bring you into this land. He didn't say you have to get yourself into the land. He said, I'm going to get you into the land. Their job was to believe that promise. I'll get you there. On this side of the cross, our part is to believe that's taken care of. It's provided. It's ours. You need peace. I just preached last Sunday at a different church on, on the peace of Jesus. If you need peace, the way you get peace isn't by saying, Lord, give me peace. Why? Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. He already deposited all the peace that you need on the inside of you. You just need to learn to draw it out. Alright? So, so the only reason these people did not enter the promised land was because they didn't mix the finished work with faith. They didn't mix the grace they received with faith. They didn't believe that God was faithful enough to keep His promise of grace. So again, think about the story where tw God sends 12 into the, the promised land to spy it out. And uh, so we know that two get to enter the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. Ten didn't. What made the difference? It wasn't because two was more holy and two had a better performance than the ten. It was ten came back and said, listen, the giants were big. The walls were fortified. We're not, look how, we're not making it. There's no way we can defeat them. Here's the funny thing. God never told them that He needed them to defeat them. Right? God never told them to go see how big the, the, the citizens of that country were. God never told them to go see what the walls look like. God said, just go see how good the land is. Because God's hope was, if they just see how good the land is, they'll want to go. They'll, they'll trust me. They'll believe me. But then the two stood up and said, whoa, 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 whoa. This is God we're talking about. Did you all not just see what we experienced in Egypt? And you're sitting there worried about some giants? Did you not see the, did you not see the flies? Did you, not see, uh, did you not hear the screams of the Egyptians? Did you not see the, blood turn, uh, the water turn into blood? Did you not see the frogs? Did you not see all these things? And you're worried about some walls and some giants? Who believed Him, ten did. And because of that, not because of anything else, two went in, ten did. That's amazing to me. So, and here's what I want to say, guys, and I've been saying this to you for months now, but I think it's so important. God offers us a finished work, but He does not offer us an automatic work. And that's where we, we so many times, that's how we come short of the promise. Because we know it's finished, but we think since it's finished, it should just be automatic. It's not automatic. But again, that doesn't mean you have to earn it. You just trust Him. You believe Him. And our part is simple. It's faith. We're all on level ground by grace through faith. Right? So, and what he's saying here in Hebrews, he's like, listen... Everything you need, all the promises. Like I know you guys have heard that. I, I hate cliches. I like. I really despise cliches. I especially just like after our son went to be with Jesus. Uh, like I really came to hate cliches because I heard so many stupid cliches. But anyways, um, how many has ever heard the cliche? Well, you know, God answers every prayer. Sometimes it's yes, no, maybe, you know, or something like that, or or yes, or not now. Some listen. No, that's not biblical. Biblical uh, says, the Bible says that every promise in Him is yes and amen. Not maybe, not not now, not come to me later. It's just yes. You go to God, you ask Him about a promise, and you know what He's going to say every time? Yes. 
I like how the New International Version says it. It says he, every promise in Him is yes so that the amen can be spoken by us. What's amen mean? So be it. Since the promise is yes, so be it in my life. The angel came to Mary with a promise. You can bear the Messiah. You can be a virgin and conceive a child. And people looked at it. Listen, God, that, that wasn't forced on her. What, what was Mary's response? Lord, so be it unto me according to your word. What is that? Faith. The angel came to her with grace, and she received that word by faith. You know, when you read your Bible every day, don't read it just like just to get information. And you know, and you see, you see something that's good and you just highlight it. Listen, when you see something that you want in your life, I mean, don't wait till you need it. Right then, speak out loud. Amen. So be that in my life. By his stripes you were healed. Amen, Lord. So be that healing in my life. Two, two things for inspiration. When you feel inspired, and when I say inspired, I mean when something is quickened to you, when a thought is quickened to you, when a verse is quickened to you, you need to do two things. Listen to me. This is very practical. You need to write it down in some way. Either physically, on your phone, you need to write it down. Remember, the Bible says that holy men were inspired of God and they wrote the Scriptures. Right? And, and the second thing you need to do is you need to speak it. Because faith is voice activated. Everywhere in the Scripture that someone responds to something in faith, they speak it. All right? And here's the last thing I want to say. We're coming to a close. And even though God had assured Israel that, listen, I'm going to bring you into the promised land, we know that they had to fight some battles to get there, right? Like, that's what the book of Joshua is about. Joshua was a man who believed in God, and because he believed in God, because he exercised faith, he became the man that could lead them into battles. If you want to overcome every battle, if you want to win everything that's going to come against you, you've got to live by faith. That's why Paul said over and over, the just shall live by faith. That's so good. So just because you're experiencing a battle, that doesn't mean that, like, that's not, that promise isn't for you. No. And here's another thing. The, the promised land, when I was growing up, I always thought that the promised land was a picture and a type of heaven. It's not. The promised land is a picture and type of the new covenant where everything's provided, where every need is, is, is provided for, where every promise is yes. You just have to take it. Right? That's the promised land of the new covenant. So I said this, I preached on this last week at that church, I told you, Jesus said, in this world you shall have tribulation. But I've spoken, unto, I've spoken these things unto you that you might have peace, but in this world you shall have tribulation. In the, um, in the Greek... It's just as it says in the English, you might have peace in the Greek. It says that is, that is a, it's a potentiality or a possibility. Peace is not guaranteed. Now hold on, listen to me. But then he says you will have tribulation. When you look up that in the Greek, it means it's a simple fact. No getting around it. So he's saying the tribulation part, guaranteed. The peace part, that's not guaranteed. Now, it doesn't mean it's not provided. My peace I have given you. It's just up to you whether or not. The tribulation, it's coming. The peace, up to you. All right? Um, but what I was going to say is we've adopted a theology that says you will have peace, but you might have tribulation. But Jesus said, no, you will have tribulation, but you might have peace. All right? So, so a battle doesn't mean the promise isn't for us. It doesn't mean that the grace isn't there. It just means we win. We win. We need to become rock solid in the fact that I win. Every time, I win. I was dealing with something personal a few weeks ago, and I was talking to the Lord about it, and then it just rose up on the inside of me. I win. Lord, at the end of this, no matter how this turns out, I win. 
I don't care. I win. I will win. I don't care. I'll win. Say what? I don't, I don't care how it looks. I'll win. I don't care about the giants. I'll win. I don't care what the doctor says. I'll win. I don't care what everyone around me says. I'll win. I don't care what the bank account looks like. I'll win. I don't care how anxious and troubled the thoughts are coming. I'll win. By grace, through faith, I'll win. Amen. Has that blessed you guys today? Amen. Remember Paul said, he said that you fight the good fight of faith. That's our fight. It's not to earn it. It's not to get our perform- all of our ducks in a row. It's just to trust Him. Believe Him. Know that it's been provided. Activate it. Man, exercise your faith in a good Father. Exercise your faith in a finished work. He's that good. It's that good. So if, if whatever the promise is you're, you're, you're in need of this morning, it's taken care of. Just believe Him. Just believe Him. Has this blessed you guys today? Amen. All right, guys. Uh, Go ahead, Connie.